You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello people and welcome to another show. Um, This show is... Provisionally titled A Show Without Notes, which isn't actually true, but uh, there's a story behind that which involves me being dragged out of bed at four o'clock in the morning because my daughter's uh, my daughter needed fetching from work because she couldn't raise her boyfriend to uh, do it. And um, then I, I said to Nick, um, we'll start the show a bit later than usual because I need to go to the supermarket thinking I'd be about half an hour because I wanted some bread and milk and jam and a couple of other things. And the supermarket was rammed absolutely rammed uh, thank you coronavirus and panic buying hysteria for that <laughs> and uh, I got back and I had about 40 minutes to put the notes together where I normally spend about two hours but we do have some notes and we do have some interesting stories and I am joined once again by Nick hello Nick hello Simon I'm glad you made it back from the, the <laughs> madness this is the shopping yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people do do their shopping on a Sunday afternoon, but um, that was considerably busier than I would expect, um, you know, for sort of uh, two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. But there we are. Anyway. Yeah, I must admit, I must admit, I do try and avoid big supermarkets at the best of times. <laughs> I, try, I tend to try and go to the, some of these smaller places. I know they're a bit more expensive, but I just hate that. I mean, I I live just down the road from one of the largest ASDAs in in the country. I think, uh, and it, it it just it might d- does my head in when I go in the place. I just think this is too big and too much. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess. I mean, my local ASDA, which is where I where I went, is not you know it's not huge. It's a a reasonable sized shop, but it's it's not enormous by any. Yeah. Means. Well, the 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 Astra at Minworth is sort of um you know you, you can't really spend less than half an hour because it, it takes you that long to walk to the other end. <laughs> oh dear, right. Yeah, that's a big that's a big shop. That's a big yeah. shop. Yeah. No, no, no. Mine's nowhere near as big as that. I mean, it's quite it's quite uh, easy to go in there and be normally, you know, go in there, grab a few things, and come out and be ten minutes. But uh, yeah, all the tills were, you know, people were queuing six deep at the tills. You know. Oh no. Um, mental. It always and happens I, when when you want when you want to do something fairly quickly. It always yeah, of course. Yeah, way. always. Yeah, you, you know, if you got all the time in the world, you'd go in there. It'd be, it'd be empty. It'd be empty. That's just how life is. I must admit, I did. Um, you know, I wasn't buying much, but I have to say the the shelves looked uh, decidedly um, thin on the ground. Um, I don't know if that's just you know panic buying or just uh, bad luck on a Sunday afternoon for me. Not that uh, not I don't think there was anything I wasn't able to get, but then my shopping list was very short. <laughs> yeah, they all they all do they, do they still close on Sunday afternoons these places? I think they do, don't they? Well, they they shut at four. Four, yeah. Four o'clock, yeah. Uh, you know. Um, so I suppose there's a chance they might start running out of stuff at some point. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't know when they restock, but anyway, there you go. That's enough shopping-related tales. <laughs> <laughs> this day in shopping, brought to you by Essential <laughs> Apple. <laughs> 
the Essential Apple Shopping Show. There we are. Um, well, um, it's been a strange week. Obviously, coronavirus continues to wreak havoc everywhere. Um, yeah, it's apparently brought on a, you know, a, a burst of panic buying in the UK. Uh, toilet paper is apparently in short supply for um, reasons I don't really understand. Uh, Nick said to me, I think you said before you show, didn't you, Nick, that you believe about 60% of toilet paper may be manufactured in China? Um, I believe so, yeah. I, d- I don't know what... what... <laughs> I don't know why they think the other forty percent are, are not going to provide any. I mean, <laughs> I, have no idea. So, I also I also thought you know why why toilet paper? Why you know if you're worried about coronavirus, people it, it gives you pneumonia. No, not the you know not the belly. <laughs> no, <laughs> there we are. Um, I, I also, as I said to Nick, I read a piece by a, a psychologist who said that um, the psychology of panic buying is less about what you buy and why you buy it than um, a subconscious desire to feel in control. Um, if people feel that you know they're involved in a situation they can't they can't understand and they can't control, that by you know doing something such as well making sure we've got plenty of toilet roll is a subconscious way of uh, feeling in control of the situation so there you go um amateur psychology <laughs> re- from me it rather reminds me of the uh, uh hitchhike one of the uh, the beginning of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy when they're in the pub and he says uh yeah uh, you've got about uh, 15 minutes that's all and then the earth's going to be destroyed and <laughs> the guy behind the bar says shouldn't we do something like he said well what like he said well like aren't we supposed to put a sort of paper bag over our heads or something? And he said, <laughs> if you think it'll help. He said, will it? He said, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that is exactly, you know, what this uh, psychologist was saying. That's exactly the kind of, um, you know, subconscious response. We should do something. Um, yes. Yeah. There we are. That makes sense. Makes yeah, sense. It does to some extent, doesn't it? Uh, I guess it's a, a desire to feel that you are doing something, even if actually in reality you're not doing anything sensible whatsoever. Uh, okay, well, um, what stories do we have? Uh, on the Apple front, um, the Mac Observer has reported that the WWDC may be on the verge of being cancelled following a new COVID-19 guidance from the Santa Clara County um, you know, authorities who uh, unsurprisingly have updated their um, you know, their policy and at the moment are suggesting that mass gatherings should not uh, you know, occur. Um I still don't know, you know, if as Apple haven't actually announced WWDC, it would be difficult to actually cancel it as such. Um but I can I, sort I, of I, know I can I sort of understand the um the logic behind it. I mean any any kind of gathering where people come from all over the world. Yeah, is probably um, ill you know, not particularly advisable at the moment. No. Um No, no, that's right. And as a lot of people have said, and I think we might even have said this last week, um, of many of these shows, you know, the WWDC uh, is, you know, a developers conference. It's not really about hardware. It's not really about necessarily getting hands on with things. Um, it's well, except pop- for the developers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. With the yeah. developers. But it. To, I mean, a lot. I mean, they stream or uh, put up uh, videos of pretty much all of WDC uh, anyway. So... I mean, it's possible that it's possible that the the sort of external part of WD, WDC, like like the keynote and the, as you say, the sessions, they they could still happen, couldn't they? I mean, it doesn't. They could still do those without actually 
having a get together, as it were. Yeah, um, what you know, WWDC of of many of these events, you know, like like you said, the Geneva Car Show is cancelled. Well, you know, you can't really have a, a Geneva Car Show without people going to look at the cars. Um, <laughs> yes, but I mean, the point they're but... finding their way around it by actually having little little gatherings. Yes, um, uh, and launching their cars that way instead. Yes, that is true. I, yeah. I, WWDC strikes me of, of, I'm sure some of the other events, uh, you know, particularly tech events might be similar, but it's, it, you know, it kind of strikes me that of all of them, WWDC would probably suffer the least if it had to become a, you know, a webinar streamed um yeah, I think you're right. Event. Um, yeah. Obviously, developers being able to get one to one with Apple engineers and whatnot might suffer a bit, but it would. You but know, that, th- but that again is a subset of the people that actually go. Not is. everyone gets to have one to one sessions. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it probably of of all of them, it probably is the one that they could almost run remotely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, Tim could come out on stage and maybe be in front of, you know, 500 Apple employees to give his keynote. Because yeah, they'd probably make just as much noise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. Obviously, no, nobody knows. They haven't even announced it yet. They might be hoping that, you know, the fuss dies down. They might be feeling that, you know, they can push it back into July or early August. and Maybe, or, or, it, or it could be just that they won't have one this year and they'll, and they'll release the information that they need to release just in announcements as, as time goes by. It is possible. I, I, I mean, you have to uh, realise, as Weihan has said, you know, um, they release all of the um, developer sessions on video anyway because, you know, only a tiny number of developers actually get to attend, let's face it. Oh, yeah. To, yeah. If you want to go to WWDC, you have to enter a lottery to get the chance to win the chance to pay Apple a lot of money to go to their, <laughs> to go to their conference. So, unsurprisingly, all of the, you know, all of the other, you know, the State of the Union and all the actual developer sessions are all put up uh, either live or after the event um, as video. So, yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure, you know, they could do kind of mass webinar uh, kind of events for Q&A and so on. So, um, yeah, I I kind of I think, get that report. I think by cancelled, what they mean is an actual physical gathering may not happen. Um, yeah, I think I think that's uh, I think that's quite likely, actually, that it won't. Yeah, I, I guess that it won't happen in that in the in the way that it's happened in the past, shall we say? That's. I increasingly likely as the uh, you know as the situation continues to uh, stay much the same as it were. Um, there we are. Um, not a lot of Apple stories per se this week, Nick, but we've got plenty of other stories. Um, Apple is apparently offering free repair for third generation iPad Air models, which are facing uh, blank screen issues. Apparently, according to Nine to Five Mac. Um, obviously, I don't have an iPad myself, and I certainly don't have a third-generation iPad Air. Um, I wasn't aware of this issue, but obviously it is something which uh, is afflicting this model. No, I, no, I've not come across it. No, not something I'd heard about, but apparently, in the usual manner, it's obviously reached a, uh, um, a large enough number of people are complaining that they are suffering issues with this particular model, and Apple will uh, do a free repair. So, if you are listening and you have uh, an iPad Air 3rd Gen and you have problems with it, uh, 
having a blank screen. According to Apple, the screen of affected models may flicker unexpectedly before it becomes irreversible. Affected customers can have their display replaced by Apple free of charge. It actually says the, it actually says the opposite to blank, doesn't it? It just says just above that that you've just read. It says the company says that a limited number of units manufactured between March 2019 and October 2019 have a problem that causes the display to turn white permanently. Oh, okay. So that's um, weird. Well, it's a blank white <laughs> screen then. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, Apple has determined under certain, certain circumstances the screen of a limited number of iPad Air 3rd Gen may go blank permanently. A brief flicker or flash may appear before the screen goes blank. Okay, well, Apple yeah. are fixing it for free. If you are affected by that, um, contact Apple in the Jolly usual, good. In the that's usual what we, manner. That's what we like to hear. Well, it is. It's, uh, you know, doing the right thing. That's what we like to hear, isn't it? Um, and the other Apple story we have this week is, he says, scrolling madly through his notes. Um, new App Store policies fight spam and abuse, but also allow ads in push notifications. Um, this is from Ars Technica. Now, I read this. Um, it's slightly strange in that the original policy, basically, uh, as far as I could see, said that push notifications must not be uh, required for the app to function and uh, should not be used under any circumstances for advertising. Um, the new policy um, apparently says uh, push notifications should not be used for promotions or direct marketing purposes unless customers explicitly opt in to receive them via consent language displayed in the app's UI. And you provide a method in your app for a user to opt out from receiving such messages, um, which seems clear enough. Um, the only difference appears to be that you may now, if you get consent from uh, a user, send them direct marketing. Um, I've got vi I've got visions of, of of a man with notifications pinned inside his the inside of his uh, his jacket. Saying, "All right, son." Want want to get want to subscribe to um advert notification? Ars <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Technica here um are kind of suggesting that actually this change might be uh because the original um was almost impossible to enforce because simply saying you shall not send uh adver adverts or marketing via uh push notifications how how do you know um what an app is pushing um yeah yeah and i suppose you could be quite clever about the kind of notification it is i mean it it's not immediately obvious that something is an adver advertisement <laughs> so um yeah yeah Whereas now you actually, so they've, they've actually tightened it up in some ways. They've actually said you can do that, but only if you're actually if you've actually been given permission by the user. Yeah, I mean, what it says here, Nick here noted that Apple was already failing to enforce the original language, so this may seem like capitulation to what some developers had been doing for a while. Uh, perhaps in response to difficulty policing this consistently, here also points out that there is not currently a pre-baked-in way for developers to sort between types of notifications. Um, 
Oh, right. So as effectively, you must provide uh, a user option to opt out from receiving such messages may actually curb this behavior. So there we are. Um, currently, developers <laughs> would have to architect their own way of distinguishing between advertisement notifications and other notifications. Um, there we are. So it would it's seem... A, that a bit actually, of a tweak, isn't it? I That's think all it is, a little bit of a tweak. It's yeah. probably a, a case of... Um, of saying, well, we at the moment we can't enforce the rules as they stand, so we need to find um, a way of doing that. Find a better way of doing it, and that is, you know, either I I'm prepared to accept adverts in your push notifications, or no, don't send me any notifications at all. Um, yeah, I don't know what sort of what sort of apps would be sending you push notifications. Probably games and so on, but then I never allow push notifications from games anyway. <laughs> in which case, it won't affect you. Yeah, no. Um, because they always seem to be just sending you push notifications saying, like, you know, your, your energy is full. Come back and play whatever game it is. So, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we are. Um, and that's it for Apple, then. That's pretty much it on the Apple front, or at least on the stories I've got. I don't know if there there might be some more floating around, but not any I've, uh, you know, laid hands on. Um, Fair enough. Biggest story of the week. Uh, in some ways, is uh, Intel are unable to fix a critical hardware-encoded CPU flaw. Um, I got this one from IT Pro, but you'll find it all over the place. Uh, basically, um, researchers have found a critical flaw in um, the kind of free boot section of pretty much um, all uh, Intel uh, CPUs from about the last five years. Um, apart from the latest 10th generation, uh, was that Ice Lake? Were the newest ones? Yeah. Um, apparently, a flaw has been discovered in the converged security and management engine, boot ROM, um, of most Intel chipsets and system on a chip units, apart from uh, 10th gen CPUs with Ice Point. Okay, all right, whatever that is. Um, exploitation could allow an attacker to extract the CPU chipset encryption key and thus compromise the root of trust in a system. Um, the vulnerability allows an attacker to conduct arbitrary code execution with zero-level pri privileges within the uh, management module. Um, this vulnerability is so serious that Intel has advised affected customers to replace hardware in order to fix it. Um, devices afflicted is broad according to Intel, including CSME-ready chips with SPS firmware for servers, TXE firmware for tablets, DAL software for machines ranging from workstations to IoT, and the AMT module used for remote IT man uh, management. Um, apparently, according to IT Pro, uh, this was first flagged as a highly severe flaw in May 2019, and Intel released a patch to fix what was at the time thought to be a firmware bug. Um, it has now emerged that this patch has only addressed one potential attack vector involving the integrated sensors hub, and the root vulnerability goes deeper. Um, as they say here, the scenario Intel system architects, engineers, and specialist security specialists have feared most is now a reality. 
Um, this vulnerability jeopardizes everything Intel has done to build the root of trust and lay a solid security foundation on the company's platforms. Uh, it is not only that, it is impossible to fix firmware errors that are hard-coded in the mask ROM of microprocessors and chipsets. The larger worry is that because this vulnerability allows a compromise at the hardware level, it destroys the chain of trust for the platform as a whole. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I-, I must admit, it, it, does, it does rather... Um push us back to what we were talking about last week isn't it it does I mean, it all... if, we can't, if we can't trust intel then perhaps we shouldn't be on intel anymore <laughs> well it also sheds a slightly different light doesn't it on the on the amd rumors oh because yeah yeah that's if right <laughs> if you if you're deciding you want to stay with x86 or whatever um and you're concerned that uh intel are maybe not you know providing um the service you require, then maybe you would want to change. Um, unsurprisingly, Nick, as you uh, said to me before the show, you know, is this similar to Spectre and Meltdown? Um, it it is basically. It's not the same. Yeah, it it, it, is... it also it also sounds like it it's it's going to be more more business based, isn't it? It's going to uh, individuals are probably not going to have to worry about this too much, but. No. Um, but it's definitely going to be a business thing where going people are going to be looking at it very seriously, I would imagine. I, I don't think it's going to affect, you know, consumers very much. Um, it says here that this hardware encoded vulnerability can be exploited to recover the chipset encryption key and the generation of other encryption keys. However, this would effectively give an attacker access to everything on the device. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's quite bad. <laughs> well, because you, once you've broken the encryption key, you, you, yeah. you have everything. You have access you have everything, to everything. Yeah. Um, well, not it's not in this article. It's in another article I, I read. Um, it might be in the following one that I've, I've put in here, which is um, as a kind of follow-on to that, I've got a piece from uh, 9to5Mac. An unfixable Intel chip floor could render Apple's file vault useless. Um, now, apparently, if you have um, a Mac with a T2 security chip, which is the newer machines, um, you are at much less risk because the T2 takes control of the system before even the Intel boot ROM. Right. Um, so that's, um, you know, some mitigation if you uh, have a newer Mac. Um, oh, thank you. Apparently, that link is now 404. Thank you. Um, also, um, the other, uh, thing I read about it is unsurprisingly, this, um, this attack is very technical, um, and it requires, uh, specialist hardware with hands-on access to the device because it relies apparently on a timing error between the beginning, the, the initial, you know, start up of this management module and it turning on its own encryption. And uh, right. to attack it, you must inject your attack code in the tiny space between it turning itself on and booting up its encryption. Um, and apparently, if you know how to do it, you can insert code uh, and then thus grab hold of the encryption keys. Um, so, yeah, this is not something that uh, the average person is going to need to worry about. But as you say, um, businesses uh, more so. Um, and obviously, the more critical the data you are holding the more you need to be worried about it um it's another one of course if you if you uh you know as we've said many times and uh, dougie would agree if you've 
<laughs> if you've let somebody get hands on your machine, all bets are off. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. <clears throat> I mean, I, I suppose that this is the sort of thing which um, some somebody like, uh, you know, like uh, Dougie would, you know, be looking at as a possible way of breaking into, uh, you know, the machines of persons suspected of wrongdoing. Um, it, uh, well, yeah, well, it's another another avenue, isn't it? Um, but there we go. Apparently highly technical and difficult to do, but, uh, yeah, severely, uh, you know, compromises the machine. I, I, I can't help feeling, uh, to some extent, as you just pointed out, and as that, uh, as that bloke said, you know, the, your biggest problem here is the PR damage. Um, yeah. That it destroys people's trust in your, um, in your hardware. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's definitely going to, I say, fuel the uh, speculation about moving away from Intel. Definitely. Definitely. Even, even though, I mean, in all honesty, if there was the attention being paid to AMD that there is to Intel, <laughs> they'd probably be in exactly the same position, but in a different way. Oh yeah, um, you yeah. know uh, these these things. Yes, that you know, light specter, light meltdown. The 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 more complex and the cleverer we make these things, then the more vulnerabilities there are. Um, yeah, unintended consequences spring up all the time, um, and this is why sometimes these things don't come to light for years because they're not <laughs> they're not glaringly obvious. You know, the people who build these things, they're not idiots. Um, no, I also get the impression chip design isn't easy. <laughs> I think that's quite hard. I think you'll find that chip design is um, probably harder than rocket science. <laughs> I think it's yeah, uh, yes. I think it's yeah, here. I am difficult. brain the size of a planet. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> I um, yeah. These obviously this is bad, but real yes. world bad. Not for your average person. Seems to be the, the short no, answer to that. No, but I will. It, it will undoubtedly have effects um, for for businesses. I mean, um, uh, so uh, you all know I'm now retired, but some of the stuff that I was dealing with and and, and in meetings about over the last twelve months were Spectre and um, what was the other one? Uh, Spectre meltdown. and Meltdown. Yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, you know, businesses do have to consider these things and uh, ap apply patches when they're and possible, but. The problem with this one is, as you've already said, is that it isn't really a patch. It's uh, just just stop using it and use another one. Yeah, you have to, but you know, you have to swap out. But that's not that simple, is it? You know, if you've got it isn't no. huge racks and racks of servers storing. I don't know. Like you said, you work work for the water company, so no doubt, you know, the reams and reams of data. You know, terabytes upon terabytes of data that uh, you know, as a company, they have to store. I mean. I mean, the fact is, under, under change control, it can take months and months and months to make a tiny change to software just to make sure that it doesn't cause an impact that would affect the business. Uh, uh, and this is even more complicated than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah well, okay. significantly more complicated than but, that. Well, also, surely the other thing is even, even let's assume, uh, you know, in a perfect world that uh, a company, A, could afford it, you know, because it's not going to be a yes. no-cost solution. B, that it was as simple as taking the case off, unplugging a CPU and plugging in another one like a Lego brick, <laughs> which it's Which not, it probably isn't. Yeah. It, which it yeah. most certainly is not. Um, you know, realistically, for a lot of uh, machines, the, the sort of people who need to be... Um, this is the thing I think that a lot of people don't take into account, is the sort of people 
who need to be concerned about these sort of vulnerabilities are not looking at, oh, should, maybe I should, uh, you know, if you're a government minister um, and you're concerned that maybe your your laptop might be at risk from this, what are you talking about? Replacing your um, your current laptop with a, you know, a brand new one that contains uh, 10th generation, you know, yes. CPUs. And yeah. relatively speaking, that's, that's neither here nor there, right? Cost-wise, it's... Well, it's not nothing, but it, you know, in terms of government spending, it's trivial. It's a trivial fix. You know, give all the give all the people who have to have you know apparently secured laptops, new laptops, problem fixed. Destroy the old ones, job done. But the yes. sort of companies who who really need to worry about these kind of uh, you know vulnerabilities, are, we're not talking about uh, you know a dozen laptops or a hundred laptops or even a thousand <laughs> laptops. We're talking about data centers filled with thousands of servers yeah um, yeah that's know, right you don't merrily just go oh well oh bugger well let's just replace them all with new 10th gen ones then and it doesn't work like that does it, <laughs> it really <laughs> no, doesn't, it doesn't work like that i mean the the only mitigation seems to be at the moment yes that it, you know you have to have specialist hardware and you have to have your hands on the device so that you can um attack this you know management module in its very first you know nanoseconds of starting so um which which just just tells you really that you know security isn't it security isn't just about it is it it's it's about physical security and all those other things as well it is it is indeed very much so um, so and if you're not allowing people to touch the machines then you're not in much danger from this exactly if you're you know, if you're if your data center is uh, locked up, you know, tight, and nobody's allowed in there, um, you're relatively secure, I suppose. Um, but still, uh, I found that a, not only frightening in some respects, but also a fascinating story. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, listeners, if you're interested, go, you know, go search the web. There's a variety of articles um, by different people um, explaining it in from different angles and, of course, in different amounts of technicality. Um, so this is not actually kind of related directly to that, but I'm going to jump down to it, actually. Um, Microsoft say that 1.2 million accounts were hacked, but they all made the same mistake. Um, and that is because uh, Nick and I were talking about this earlier. This is from Fosbytes. Um, basically, Microsoft say that of these, you know, 1.2 million accounts or whatever, which they, I think that's what they reckon are attacked per year or hacked per year. Um, basically, 99% of them uh, appear to be breached by credential stuffing by because the accounts are secured with insecure passwords, which are also used elsewhere. Yeah. Um, Microsoft officials spoke to the RSA conference, revealed that 99.9% of compromised accounts that they have discovered didn't have multi-factor authentication methods in place. Um, so that's one. Um, and then um, apparently only 11% of enterprise use, users used multi-factor authentication at least once in the use of in the month of January. Um, using multi-factor authentication all of the time would have saved many, if not all, of those accounts, they noted. Um, and then they say the other, the currently uh, commonly used techniques 
by attackers are password spraying and password replay, um, which is just using millions and millions of, uh, you know, that's brute forcing effectively and uh, credential stuffing. Uh, so there you go. Multi-factor authentication and don't reuse your passwords. Um, and Nick and I were talking about this um, before the show. Indeed, yes. Because, uh, yeah. Nick, yeah, go on, tell, the, tell the listeners, tell the listeners what you've been doing. Well, uh, um, all of you know that I'm retired. I keep saying it as many times as possible because I still don't believe it. Yeah, he's trying to, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, who are you trying to convince? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so I did spend some time last week um, working my way through, um, I can't remember what, what one password call it now. They have a watchtower, I think they call it, um, where it watches what passwords you use. And it will say, did you know you'd use this password 15 times? Uh, and I must admit, you know, even though I know I should use different passwords, when I was working, at, when I was at work, I had no access to my um, 1Password passwords unless I just ca called them up on my phone, which was a bit of a pain. So I did use reuse passwords um, on various sites, ones I could remember. And uh, so I spent last week catching up on all those things and saying, OK, time for a complex password on this, simply because now when I access stuff, it's either on my iPad or my Mac or my iphone so uh one and one password works across all those things so uh i mean and don't get me wrong one password also works on the pc as well but i'm not i wasn't allowed to install i wasn't allowed to install software at all on the images that we used at work so yeah so i've been doing a bit of tidying up so i'd recommend that everyone does it occasionally if you know you're using your password in lots of different places have get your one password or your last pass or whatever and uh and update them with some more complicated passwords yep definitely um last pass has um a similar feature called um uh, well they have a security challenge that you can do with uh but it will also flag if you go to a site and enter and, and it enters a password it will you know bring up a warning saying you know you use this password on multiple sites you should really change it um, that's a good idea yeah. And I, um, yeah, I really need to do that. I, I have looked at the places where I've got, you know, reused passwords um, because we all do it. Uh, many of them are, you know, on really old things from long, long yeah. ago. Uh, some of them are. When the, da the danger is, isn't it, is that you could reuse a password on a site that is not important. And because it's not important, it's also not very secure. And then you do use that password on a, on a site that, well, that has financial information on it or something like that. So it's just important that if you've ever done that, that you make sure they're different passwords. Yeah. Well, again, um, LastPass will help you do that. And I must make some time to go through. And it, as as you say, Nick, it's not the quickest thing in the world, is it? It's not the quickest thing in the world to do. No, no, it's, it's, a little bit it's a little bit fiddly, but yeah, it's worth it's worth sitting down for a couple of hours. And if you can make find a couple of hours. Um, and, and just sort of working your way through it. I think I've got about 20 sites that use the same password, which is rather a lot. But, uh, but again, as you it's... say, some of, them, some of them I tried to log into and, and they don't exist anymore. <laughs> no, they're, they're, <laughs> so they're so old. You know, there's, there's um, a lot of the ones that I have, um, I know that, um, you know, I've reused passwords on are often sites like, um, well, for example, sites like, um, uh, designbundles.net you know places like that where yeah. you, you sign it's like sign in and get you know we'll send you free free right yeah. a week or whatever so you know they don't have any financial information they don't have any so yeah they're yeah or, or thing or things like forums 
Yeah. You know what I mean? You you might sign up to a forum and there's nothing much on that forum other than your name and your password. And that's about it, really. Um, Yeah. It's, you know, these are the, um, these are the, but this is how, you know, unwittingly you could find that you have, um, Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, given you, away, given away a password that you really shouldn't have done. <laughs> uh, and they just, you know, this is just. So I must uh, make some time to run through uh, LastPass and clean them up. Um, and as as a side to that, of course, uh, you were telling me um, we've got another story actually related to that, as it were, spinning off. Um, Virgin oh, Media. Oh, Virgin Media. Yeah, mm. Virgin Media slapped on wrist, big style. Um, here we are. Virgin Media are likely to face maximum GDPR fine following a data leak. Um, this also I got from IT Pro, although no doubt it's all over the place. Um, Virgin so, Media are likely to get hit really hard. Um, company reveals yeah. the details of 900,000 existing and potential customers were exposed online for 10 months. Um, yeah, I mean, fortunately, it, unfortunately, it doesn't appear that... It, it will aid phishing, but it doesn't appear that they've let any no. passwords or there's or no that passwords kind of thing, yeah. or financial information or so on. But it says um, a database is said to have been incorrectly configured by a member of staff and left exposed online, according to the BBC. Um, the information related to marketing data for existing and potential customers who were alerted to the leak in an email on Thursday evening. Um, it was believed not, it, that this was left online from at least the 19th of April 2019. Um, yeah, the annoying thing with this is, um, as I was saying to Simon earlier, is is that when you actually... So, I mean, I saw this story, and um, even though it said no password compromised, etc., I, I immediately went and changed my password on the Virgin Media website. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I tried to use one password to generate me a nice complicated password. And it said, no, you can only have 10 characters and then you're only allowed upper and lowercase letters and numbers. Yeah. So their actual password algorithms are really poor. That's terrible. Isn't it? Um, so, so, so even though you do change your password, you're actually not creating a particularly um, secure password anyway, no, which is I a, mean, bit, a bit frustrating. I mean, 10, 10 characters is... You know, I think most security experts will tell you ten characters is barely enough. Yeah, they'll probably find that um, you you can probably if you feed that into passwords haystacks, it'll probably tell you it'll you know a, a bunch of supercomputers could break it in ten minutes or something. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, so um, so yeah, not very impressed by that really. I've always been a, a little bit. Uh, there's another thing Virgin Media do. They you have a password with them. Um, they ask for the password when you ring up. So they don't they don't ask for letters from the password. So they obviously have the full password in front of them, which again is it's just not very good security practice. Makes oh, you wor- wor- worry a little bit about what the information they hold about me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty poor, isn't it? Um, yeah. So anyway, it looks as if the uh, oh the trouble is, of course, if they get hit with a bid fine, they'll probably just pass it on to the customers anyway. Yeah, I don't know how that how that works. I mean. There we are. Um, according to this, it says uh, Jonathan Compton, a UK compliance law- lawyer and partner at DMH Stallard, whoever the hell they are, argues that given what we know so far, Virgin Media could face serious sanctions under the GDPR, um, which sets fines of 4% of global turnover or 20 million euros. It is important to note that this was not a case of a secure database being hacked, 
This was an error by a member of staff not following correct procedures, quote-unquote. Um, fines towards the maximum end of the applicable act are likely. Um, this was a serious breach over a long period, affecting nearly a million customers. Um, and to be honest, it, uh, it apparently the data ex- exposed includes what you'd expect from a marketing database. Names, email addresses, phone numbers, and details regarding technical services and products the customers have sought information on. Um, but that's quite, I mean, that in itself is quite poor, isn't it? Because it, it wouldn't be that hard for them to impersonate Virgin Media, would it? No. Yeah. Or, of yeah, course. I, I can see you get, I, I can see you've got, you know, the maximum TV and I can see you've got such and such. I mean, you can see how people could be duped quite easily with yep. if they can see what, what, what services you're having from them. Um, hmm. Yeah. I mean, that just pretty much seems to be uh, gross, you know, gross negligence, to be honest. Um, yeah, afraid so. Another issue which might be investigated closely is whether the company is justified in retention of user data from prospective customers who may have only expressed an interest in using the services but never initiated any contract. Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah, anyway. that's a fair point as well. Because if if you if you've not clicked the button which says yeah you can use my data, yeah, oh, who knows? Uh, we don't know. I don't know about that. That's merely been speculative on the end. But there you go. Looks like uh, Virgin Media are likely to get a severe slap on the wrist. Um, and that seems like pretty poor behaviour. And as you say, Nick, you know, an a ten character. Um, you know, um, alpha new, alphanumeric, alphanumeric yeah, no, is nothing else. <laughs> not, no. I mean, if it, I think most security experts, you know, I mean, like LastPass and probably um, One Password and places like Dashlane, I think they not ne- nearly always aim for sixteen with high. Yes, so, yeah, that's right. I, I think I had mine. I think I had mine set at twenty by default, and most website, most you know, login credentials will will accept that yeah well, I mean, tw- 20, so 20, i'm really surprised that you know 20 would be a classic well that's 16 plus hyphens isn't it really you know yes four, yeah. four, four brackets of four and three hearts yeah you know yes and i've usually got mine set to um i don't think i'll <laughs> i don't think i'm giving any way any any trade secrets away by saying um i think i usually have three characters that are non-alphanumeric and yeah, and, I mean, LastPass has a, and another three, another three, um, you know, uh, random character um, things. LastPass gives you a, a fair amount of control. You've got a slider for you know length, and you yes. have tick boxes for um, you know, do you want it memorable? Do you want it pronounceable? Do you do you wish to allow symbols and so on? Um, symbols. That's what I was trying to think of. Yes, yeah, symbols. The symbols. Yeah, so, yeah, the at and various other. Um, it's actually, I mean, I think Virgin Media, of all the websites I log on to, Virgin Media are the only one now that that own that that put such a heavy restrictions on what passwords you can use. So really, it's about time they got that sorted out. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully this will make them do that. It's, um, that that's pretty pretty poor, pretty poor all round. So, um, tell you what, Nick, we, I think we'll have a short interlude because I want to get a cup of tea. Uh, still no uh, John Nemo. Um, I think uh, John Nemo's supply trucks have been held up due to coronavirus, actually. Um, 
I think his, his, uh, his uh, you know, supply of goods has been uh, massively curtailed due to uh, a lack of trucks leaving China with his goods. Um, but anyway, uh, on that note, I'm going to get a cup of tea and uh, Nick and I will be back in a moment or two. And we're back again. So, uh, moving on, Nick. Um, after those really quite depressing stories, um, uh, a couple of quick things to mention. Sonos has killed off its device-bricking recycling mode. Bloody but good. Thank you. <laughs> yes, we don't want any of this bricking thing. No, that was uh, now, apparently, uh, you can still claim... Um, Apparently, you can still claim a discount if you have an old Sonos device and uh, tell them you, uh, you know, want to claim a discount. But they will no longer force you to brick the device. You are free to send it to recycling or pass it on or whatever. Um, there we go. Fair enough. I think that's, uh, I suspect that's, you know... Don't get me wrong, I'm sure the sort of, uh, you know, the age of Sonos devices which are probably being, you know, uh, traded are no doubt of the older type which are probably not a huge amount of use and they'll probably end up in the recyclers anyway. Um, I just think it was not a a fantastic deal to be telling people we have to make them into useless pieces of e-junk. No, no, particularly when they're, you know, they're not cheap. (laughs) <laughs> it's no. it's like apple it's like apple coming along and saying actually you know i mean the fact is you still can use some of their very earliest iphones they might yeah. not be brilliant now but they're still usable and they still will work i think um, what did i um i don't know it depends in some areas 2g has been turned off but i i think um yeah yes yeah but if you True. have 2g 2g uh, well but then again i mean is it, an iphone 3g would still work i'm i'm assuming yeah, um, which was the second one, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it the second yeah, one? Or yeah, the... second, because yeah. they went iPhone, iPhone 3G, iPhone 3GS. Um, the 3GS was the one where it really started to take off. And, um, I mean, quite simply, if you expect people to pay quite a lot for their devices, they they do expect them to, to last some time. I mean, it's yeah. even more so in, in, the, in the motor industry, where, you know, some people expect their cars to run for 10, 15 years. Well, you know, and, uh, you're spending 20, well, and, 30 grand. And, and longer. Well, you yeah, uh, so the more you pay, the more you, you, you it's fair to expect that the, your devices will last a, a number of years. So there we are. Uh, with, with a bit of them being bricked. So that's oh yeah, that's good. I'm glad they've yep. come back on that. We're glad that they have withdrawn that. Um, this this one's intriguing. This one's intriguing. Um, TCL reveals extending smartphone concept and a trifold tablet. Well, the the trifold tablet doesn't particularly interest me. I mean, it doesn't matter how many. Once you put one fold in, whether you have two or three or four or whatever, strikes me as irrelevant. Um, but this is uh, also I've got two pieces. One from the BBC. Um, and one from Input Mag. Uh, TCL's rollable phone concept is wild and way better idea than screens that bend in half. Um, now, I've said to Nick, uh, you know, just after we'd uh, got a cup of tea, this 
this concept actually, as to my knowledge, is actually, um, you know, far older than the idea of having fold over LCD screens altogether. Um, because yeah, the, the idea is definitely of of of, of like a scrollable display has, has been around for yeah, you're right for a number of years. I remember seeing a concept. I think originally probably using e ink. Um, uh, yes, I think there was. Yeah, that might have a, been a might have been a CES or something like that. But somebody made a device. Uh, this is many years ago, where somebody made a device, and it, it was like a, a tube. The thing was like a, you know. Yes, that's right. Looked like a, a sort of a, a fat tube, and then you pulled out the screen. Um, well, in the same way as you pull out a roller blind. Um, yeah. So the, 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 they've got an image of this, of of this, um, a mock-up, I suppose, of this TCO concept on the on the article. It's a little bit thicker than than your average iPhone, but not significantly thicker, uh, and basically the end section of it pulls out and the screen extends, which I think looks quite cool, actually. Yep. I could see that working much more uh, reliably than a foldable display myself. I yeah. mean, don't get me wrong, this is foldable, but it's not foldable in the same way. Yeah. Um, you, folding something around a, a circular um, uh, pivot point is not quite the same as folding something in half where you have a sharp crease. As it were, yeah. The technology is is easier to do if you're actually get like going onto a roller, effectively. Yeah, I mean, it says here this concept phone and its rollable display has no official name. TCL just calls it a rollable extendable smartphone concept, um, an experimental prototype that the company is toying with. Uh, but of course, you know, we've mentioned on this show before, CES have been showing the the rollable TV screen for a couple of years now. The one which um, yes. you know, comes in like a canister, uh, you know, a, a canister, which you, you know, mount somewhere and then the screen can scroll up. Um, and that's the one where they, you know, it can come up like six inches and have like the time and the weather and whatnot scrolling across it. And then when you want to watch the news, you, you know, get it to yeah, go up to full height. I'm trying height. to remember who it was. I'm... I can't remember. Was it Sony or was it LG? I think it's LG. But anyway. Yeah, I have a feeling it's LG. I don't think it was Sony. But they've been showing that for a couple of years. I mean, looking at this, rather than the the thing I just described, the original one, what you've got here is like what looks like a standard size, you know, smartphone. um, And then it can be pulled open to like double the width um, with the, I'm assuming the screens come in from the back. I would, yeah, I would imagine so. It sort of rolls around where this this person is holding it, as it were. But um, yeah, I, I, could, I could see that. Um, you know, I just in many ways I just see that as a better concept. Um, because it doesn't yeah. involve doing something to the screen that it really doesn't want to do. I mean, rolling it around, you know, like the thickness of a pencil or whatever, has got to be a lot less difficult than actually physically trying to fold it in half. Um, anyway, an interesting concept, and uh, as they say here, merely an experimental prototype. Um, you know, I, I yeah. just found that um, it's apparently a 6.75-inch screen when closed or a 7.8-inch one when opened. Um, as I say, purely a concept device. A um, couple of articles there, one from the BBC and one from Input Magazine. Um, there we go. Interesting. Yeah, I, like, I must admit... Of all, of all the ones I've seen, that 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 appeals to me more. If that were yeah. a real phone, that would appeal to me more than than the ones I've seen before. 
I think so. I, the whole, just the whole folding it in half thing just strikes me as a bad idea. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, a, 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 as uh, so far, you know, real world uh, models have all suffered from exactly what you'd expect them to suffer from. Cracking, creasing, and... Yeah, I mean, I tried put. I tried putting my iPad into our auto auto bookie folder, and for some reason, it it doesn't work. Now. It doesn't work anymore now. Yeah, there we go. Um, put a staple in the middle, which oh, I didn't really want. Yeah. Um, last week we mentioned the um, Citroen Ami, the the little uh, two seater scooter type um, electric vehicle. Um, the one which we, you know, I said was obviously appeared to be aimed very much at young people in um, yeah. urban the scooter areas. Scooter generation, yeah. Yes, very much so. Um, I've come across another one here uh, this week, which is electric cars may not get much cuter than the Microlino 2.0. Um, this is from CNET, um, and uh, there's a picture of it. This is, you know, I mentioned that the other one reminded me vaguely of the Isetta bubble car. Yes. Um, Yes, well, this one is explicitly based on uh, the Isetta bubble car and is styled uh, to look like an Isetta bubble car. Um, it's not a three-wheeler. It has two wheels at the back uh, on a narrower axle than the front, so it maintains the kind of Isetta bubble car idea. Um, the original Isetta, of course, being a three-wheeler um, with two wheels at yes. the front and one trailing at yeah. the back. Um I've just I've just noticed how high the uh, the headlights are. I thought they were mirrors, but they're not the headlights. Yeah, they? the headlights. Yes, mounted on the yeah. you know outside. Um, yep, because obviously the front of the car. For those who are not old enough to know what an is it a bubble car is like. The uh, front windscreen and what you might think of as the bonnet is, in fact, the front door. The whole front of the car opens. That is the door. It has no doors on the side whatsoever. Um, I I think that's quite cool looking. I yeah. must admit. Um, Switzerland's Micromobility, the company previously revealed intentions to create a new electric version of the bubble car back in 2016. But on Wednesday, the Microlino 2 debuted. The latest prototype builds on the initial prototype with major improvements. The Swiss company says it has tossed the Microlino's core structure. Uh, at first, the car was made with tubular structure. Now there is pressed steel and aluminium components to beef up quality and safety. Um, ooh, 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 are, are the chamfered edges? I have no idea. <laughs> For safety, I suspect so, yes. <laughs> uh, the rear axle has grown wider by 50% to accommodate an independent suspension and a new permanent magnet motor. Um, to provide more power and increase the efficiency by 15%. A new battery pack uh, led the company to totally overhaul the cabin and provide more space. Um, apparently, the Microlino 2 should now be able to go about 124 miles on a charge. That's um, further That's further than my Leaf used to do, which was a much larger car. Mm, um, that's, actually, that's not bad considering how little space they've got for batteries in it. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. I guess. Um, of course, in the original uh, bubble car, you opened the door and the, the seat was obviously across the, you know, the centre of the chassis. Um, yes. And then behind that, of course, was your motor. Um, I guess in this one, if you think about it, the, probably the whole, pretty much the whole back half of the vehicle it is available, would be batteries. available yeah. for batteries. 
because you're going to have your seats in the center of the chassis and pretty much all the space behind that. Well, probably the bottom half could be filled with batteries and you'd have a small luggage space on top of that. Um, you know, obviously this is not designed for people to go uh, any great distance um, to the shops. They're saying about, so they reckon about $13,500, which, um, which is quite a lot for a very small car, but that's not bad. Well, I mean, it's, it's not a, ridiculously bad. It's not a ridiculously expensive. Um, as I said, I could see this challenging the Citroen AME in Europe um, as long as they manage to put together a quality car. Uh, first you know, car you know, should talking, be ready in 2021. You know, they're talking quite a lot about um, cars that will be used as sort of um, to get about cities, um, a little bit like rental things. You, you'll scan your card or your watch or whatever. Uh, and then you'll just get in and drive it to where you need to go, and then it'll sit there until someone else needs it kind of thing. And I could see this kind of vehicle being perfect for that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just as luck would have it, for comparison, the uh, the next article, if you scroll down on this page, is in fact um, about the Citroen ME, which we talked about last week. So um, you want to compare oh, the go. two, um, that's the page to have a look at the uh, relevant stats. I mean, obviously, we know the ME was selling for, what was it, 6,000 odd euros? Um, yes. So yeah. half the price, yeah. but it only goes 28 miles an hour and... This is effectively a little car, isn't it? I mean, it, it will, it, 100, my, as I say, my first Leaf didn't do 124 miles. It only did about 80. Yeah. So uh, I, mean, I could see that working for a lot This is of definitely pitched into the, I guess, the smart car market to some yes. extent. Um, whereas the, you know, the Ami is, no, it's, a, it's a, aimed at a completely different market, obviously. Um, hence, you know, its cheapness is probably a lot of it. Because if you're aiming it at sort of under 25s, you know, they don't have thirteen to 20,000 no. to throw around. Absolutely. So there we go. Um, okay. That's cool. That's cool. It's very cool. Um, and the fact that they've, you know, decided to uh, emulate the uh, Zeta bubble car um, is probably very clever in a style choice. Um, there we are. And if, you want to and if you want to talk about electric cars, there is now... Uh, a, a, a what's it called in Slack? Uh, oh, a channel. We have a Slack channel. A channel. For we have a Slack channel for electric cars, <laughs> electric, electric vehicles, vehicles. Yes. For uh, you know, because several of us are at least uh, interested in those. I mean, I've I think I've said on this show before. You know, um, the next time that my wife's um, mobility vehicle is is due, uh, you know, for renewal, mm -hmm. I would very much like to um, consider an electric vehicle. Um, because the next time it's due for renewal, I don't think I'm going to need, um, you know, a big, um, uh, you know, people carrier. No. I mean, my no. oldest daughter has already left home. Um, you know, I should think in another couple of years, there'll be a reasonable chance that my second daughter will either be thinking about moving out or, you know, going to university. Um, so, you know, the need to have a car that seats five plus luggage with ease. Um, it's going to be less of an issue. Um, part of my problem, of course, uh, last time, is that, that Citroen have been very laggardly in, in getting on board on the electric, electric vehicle front. They are. They have. Uh, but they are coming. Yeah, I mean, there are one of, they've, they've got one or two designs in the, uh, in the mix now. So I'm, you know, so, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, by the time the, the vehicle, um, I've got a couple of years to go yet, I think. Maybe oh, a bit I would more. think so, I might, then. I might get... I might get yeah. um, I think yeah. things are going to change quite rapidly over the next two or three years. I mean, I saw an art, I saw a, 
a YouTube um, blog a couple of days ago, which had the top 30 electric cars in it. Well, you know, it's not that long ago we did the weren't 30 electric cars to choose from. I was going to say, it would have been it, 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 not that long ago, it would have been, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the 10, the 10 electric vehicles you can buy ranked from best to worst. <laughs> yes. And that would absolutely. have been all, all the electric vehicles available. Um, uh, um, I reckon within the next two to three years, you can, you're probably going to see a doubling in that. You'll, it'll be more like 60. And we will start to see some of these cheaper vehicles coming as well. Yeah, and of course, I, some of the early electric cars are going to be coming onto the second-hand market. So yeah, exactly, very much yeah. so. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not beholden to Citroen. By the way, um, you know, if if I if we wanted an electric vehicle and Citroen don't have one, there's nothing to stop us looking at other manufacturers. It's just that uh, we've had um, Citroen since we've had a mobility vehicle and always been really, really happy with their cars. So, you know, there's a certain amount of customer. Yeah, I, I, but, uh, I, I, owned, uh, I owned two C3s and a C4 in years gone by. I quite like Citroen. I don't know there's anything much wrong with them. No, they make very nice cars. Mm. Anyway, um, I'm hoping that maybe they will get on the electric bandwagon and then maybe in a couple of years' time, you know, I might be able to have an electric car. Um, sure, good. There we go. Uh, what have we got here? Um, and this is another somewhat depressing security story, unfortunately. Um, America's Anti-Child Abuse Earn It Act uh, could, you know, could burn encryption to the ground. Um, I've got a story from the register. Um, you know, again, it's all over the place. Uh, I'm afraid... I you know none of us uh, you know are happy about uh, child abuse or other you know unpleasantness but uh, if you read this legislation it's it's very much you know think of the kiddies used as a smoke screen for we need to be able to read everything everybody does all of the time um, mm. it's basically looking for backdoors into everything and uh, I mean I mean the actual name of the bill is completely ridiculous they've obviously worked very 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 hard to actually make it say earn it. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> it's, it's called Eliminating Abusive and Rampant Neglect of Interactive Technologies Act. Yes, um, I mean, and come they, on, al people. they also <laughs> reference they also reference the USA Patriot Act in there for another one which had the most contrived name in order for it to say USA Patriot. Um, <laughs> I'd say it's, it's mentioned in the article, um, but you know this this is the joking aside. This is you know deadly serious. We've got people they're using um, you know child abuse. I'm afraid as a as a smokescreen. This is the usual drug drug abuse. You know drug yeah. runners and terrorists we all, we and child people do, we all know people do terrible things that doesn't mean you throw away security i mean no, you know which is effectively what they're asking for well they're asking for a backdoor into everything oh you know and the usual but you know under when we uh, have reasons to suspect yes but we all know what happens when you put a hole in security there's a hole in yeah. security end of um i don't think we want to go into that much more because i'll just get cross <laughs> <laughs> or as uh, Fair enough. as uh, as Bart like was it Bart like to say vexed is it vexed does he say? no no what is it? Uh, yeah I was just trying to think what Bart says uh, oh he says he he, he gets grumpy uh, yeah I can't yeah. remember he has a phrase he uses and he very he does yeah. yeah no no it's not vexed it's something else but anyway there we go I shall become sorely vexed yes um <laughs> what else have we got not a lot really um. Amazon Ring doorbell logs every doorbell press and app action. Um, 
and sends it to Amazon. This is on the BBC News. All I have to say about that is, and you're surprised why. Um, <laughs> I must admit, personally, I also ask, do you, do I care? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you do you know, know what I mean? I don't really care. You know, <laughs> if if they can tell me that someone rang my doorbell at 4.30 on, uh, on a Monday morning on the 5th of March or something, I mean, <laughs> I don't really care. There you go. Uh, uh, there we are. Uh, I, I'm neither surprised nor like you. Um, you know, I've never trusted sort of this whole uh, internet connected doorbell or lock or any other such thing. So uh, no, no big surprises there. Um, boots have halted advantage card payments. Um, for those of you who regularly, you know, buy your makeup at Boots um, or other products are available. Um, apparently, their advantage card reward scheme has been uh, suspended after a cyber attack. Um, as far as I could uh, ascertain, um, they have, you know, hacked the account and are using uh, stolen Re- credentials uh, yeah. in an attempt to, you know, claim people's uh, rewards. Club card. Yeah. Um, there we go. Yeah. Dear, oh, dear. More, Indeed, more misery on the security front. It's uh, you know, perhaps we should all just give up. <laughs> there we are. Uh, go back to pen and paper, everybody. Um, no, seriously, uh, unfortunate. I I didn't look into that at great depth. I don't know how they were hacked. Um, but it's very sad. It's very sad, isn't it, that a lot of the protocols that were put in place when the internet was forced for for oh, I can't say the words when the internet was first formed. Uh, uh, just didn't take security into account. And I understand why they didn't, because they were thinking the best motives, think how we'll be able to communicate with one another. Mm, there um, we go. And unfortunately, human nature gets yep. in the way, doesn't it? This is why we cannot have nice things. As they like Indeed. To say. Uh, Boots <laughs> yes. said none of its own systems were compromised, but attackers had tried to access accounts using reused passwords. Uh, and there we go. Yeah. Um, Gosh, anyone would think that when you put these notes together, you knew what we were going to be talking about. Yeah, it comes days <laughs> after a similar issue hit uh, 600,000 Tesco club card holders. Oh, um, dear. It says um, less than 1% of the company's active advantage card users, uh, which is fewer than 150,000 people, were affected. But it could not give an exact number as it is still checking the problem. Uh, oh, no gosh. credit card information has been accessed. Uh, suspending payments using points removed the risk of hijackers stealing points to spend them for themselves. Uh, you can still know. earn your points when you make purchases, um, apparently, and Boots hope to have points payments back as soon as possible. So effectively, uh, what they're doing is suspending it to prevent people having their points stolen. Um, Which is a good thing. Yeah, and also apparently, yeah, I didn't notice this one. Tesco's issues warning to 600,000 club card owners, I assume, for a similar... Um, yeah, when was that? Oh, that was the 2nd of March. A database of stolen usernames and passwords from other platforms had been tried on its website and may have worked in some cases, which again comes down to password reuse and lack of multi-factor authentication and all the other things we talked about earlier. Um, yeah. And there you go. This, I suppose, is th- this is the trap, isn't it? This is the trap that you fall into. Well, my Tesco club card's not anything particularly important, is it? <laughs> That's right. Is, yeah, see? and then oh, um... Still, I mean, the thing that I think catches most people is you might you might be worried about your, te- your club card because um, it might have financial stuff in there. I don't know. It probably hasn't, has it? But 
even so, if you've used that password somewhere where you don't really care about it, um, and the security on that's very low, that's the problem, isn't it? Is that well, that's exactly being, you know all being of ho- hoovered up off those sites and then re uh, reapplied. So, well, this is exactly why they say every breach is important because you know more criminals are getting hold of more and more of your information, and if they've got your name and your address and your telephone number and, yes. and so on, you know, from if nothing and, and else, 16, they can. 16 of your passwords. <laughs> yeah, yep, there's that. Plus, there's nothing yeah. to stop them attempting to, you know, steal your identity for nefarious purposes. It would be really good. It would be really good. So it would be really good, isn't, wouldn't it, if there was a technology that would, a little bit like one password, but it would actually go out and change all your passwords for you on a regular basis. Mm. <laughs> That'd be even better. Even better. <laughs> your only problem then would be making sure it didn't go wrong. <laughs> that's true you just get locked out of everything <laughs> locked out of everything at once um okay well that's probably pretty much it um i think we've covered all the ones worth worrying about uh the worth of chirps for this week um duck duck go open sources its new tracker radar to fight online tracking uh linked to fosbite um mm-hmm. duck duck go of course the privacy you know focused search engine um and also maker of um, some security essentials uh, all free of course um they've had a tracker radar for some time which they used to um keep track of trackers uh, in order to block them um they have now open sourced this so that other people can use it apparently it's um the point is that this is a kind of real-time tracker of trackers so that rather than relying on a crowdsourced list or other um, kind of database. There we go. Now available oh. for other uh, developers to make use of in order Jolly to good. put anti-tracking information into their own things. Um, and talking, as we were, about electric vehicles, um, I think this was from Mac Jim. He sent me a link to the fully charged show uh, on YouTube, which, of course, is uh, is it um, Robert Llewellyn? Um, it is Robert Llewellyn, yeah. Of, Robert uh, Llewellyn originally started it back back in the day. Um, I, it, I believe he still pre- presents it, according to Mac Jim. Anyway, he did... He uh, does. Yeah, he does, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was originally just him. And, oh, right. and now it's a small team of people. Okay. Um, well, but actually, it's 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 pretty good. They've just done a um, they've just done a uh, 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 if you're new to electric cars kind of thing. Uh, one of the uh, one of the women on it uh, has just literally bought her first electric car, and she filmed all the all the decisions she had to make around buying an electric car and getting a a charge point fitted and charging at a rapid charger for the first time and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's well worth a watch if you're thinking about an electric car. Very interesting. So link to that on YouTube and uh, I think we'll probably call that a show, Nick. That sounds good to me. There we go. So um, what do we do now? Uh, thank you to everybody who listens. Thank you, you know, for people who support us in all the usual manners, uh, you know, financially by uh, Patreon, uh, by retweeting us, by badgering people to listen to us, uh, you know, beating them with dead MacBooks until they give in <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so on. Um, Nick can occasionally be found on the Twitters as at Spligosh and as S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. 
uh, although that is very rare, um, is more often obviously on this show or on uh, quite frequently on Bar. Let's, Let's talk. talk. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you can follow me on the Twitters as at Serenak. That's S E R E N A K where you will find a mix of my, uh, you know, essential Apple stuff and my personal ravings. Um, and uh, all the app, uh, you know, all the essential Apple stuff is over at essentialapple.com. Uh, and I think that's probably about it. Uh, you can join the Slack by following the link in the show notes. All the stories we've talked about are in the show notes. And if you're into photography and uh, fancy it, you can join Mac Jim's Essential Apple Flickr group. Again, follow the link in the show notes. And I think that will do. We'll wrap it up and say goodbye. So until next week, when we will be joined by Andreas uh, Gailunas of Pixelmator to tell us what's going on there, uh, goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say, if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even, if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh... Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hi, this is Dave Ginsberg. I'm the host of In Touch with iOS, a podcast that talks about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and anything related to those technologies, um, with my along with my co-host Warren Sklar, um, we get in depth with a lot of great things that relates to iOS and and its technologies. I'd love to give you to give it a listen. Uh, you can find us at intouchwithios.com, or we are in Apple Podcasts or any uh, podcatcher will be able to find us. Um, but uh, give us a listen. We'd love to have you listening to uh, those great technologies and relating to iOS. Thanks. This has been the Essential Apple Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to you joining us again another time. Until then, goodbye.